0: Season's greetings to you and your loved ones. May this Christmas be your healthiest to date. The Christmas cheer is infectious here at the Wellness Couch and we've put together one very special hamper for one very special wellness coucher. One lucky person who registers for any wellness based camp event in 2019 will win a wellness hamper including a selection of primal alternative Christmas baked treats to enjoy on Christmas Day, two jars of bone broth from our good friends at Tone Made, that's one beef and one chicken, and a VIP upgrade to the Wellness Base Camp you're attending, including front row seats, dinner with the speakers, and a whole lot more. Valued at over $400, this wellness hamper could be yours when you register for the Wellness Base Camp in Fremantle, Newcastle, or Auckland. All the details are at thewellnessbasecamp.com, and all you need to do is get your tickets before the stroke of midnight on Sunday, December 16th. Happy Healthy Christmas to you from all of us here at The Wellness Couch. This edition of 100 Not Out proudly brought to you by the 2019 Greek Island Longevity Experience in Ikaria. Join Damien Christoph, and myself for 10 days on the island where people forget to die. Live with the locals, drink the wine, eat the food and discover the longevity lifestyle with a select group of like-minded people just like you who will become friends for life. Activities include stunning hikes, cooking classes, essential oil workshops, festivals and dancing, grape stomping and wine harvesting, village hopping, beach days on the Aegean Sea, farming and foraging with the locals and so much more. For dates, details, highlights of previous events and to apply, go to 100notout.com. Group size limited to 16 and applications processed on a first-in, first-served basis. Thewellnesscoach.com streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to 100 Not Out featuring your hosts Dr Damien Christoph and Marcus Pearce. Welcome to 100 Not Out, a weekly show dedicated to helping you master the art of aging well. Marcus Pierce here with you, and I'm afraid the great Damien Christoph is not here for 100 Not Out this week. He is in Hawaii with his son Jackson, who has just finished school. And yes, I miss Damo, and I'm sure you miss Damo. But it is a very special occasion uh, for Damien and Jackson to be having some father-son time in Hawaii. And so I said, mate, you don't have to record. It's okay get on the plane, have that special time with Jackson and um, and we wish them very well. And so, because we all miss Damo, I thought, you know what, how can we all bring Damo into 100 Not Out without him having to be here? And it wasn't too long ago, uh, probably the last time I saw Damo, which was in Bendigo for the Wellness Base Camp and Damo closed off the event with an incredible presentation all on gut health. I learned so much because I personally have had my tonsils out and my appendix out and uh, Damo in this presentation, Presentation uh, really brings into focus the cascade effect of not just our upbringing but our nutritional choices, our lifestyle choices and how that can impact our gut health. And I think anyone that listens to this podcast, this episode in particular, no matter where you're at in your gut health adventure, whether you've got a robust gut as I like to think that I do or you're highly sensitive, I think whatever you um, you will learn something from this presentation that Damien Kristoff gave at the Wellness Base Camp. Listen at the very end of the episode for the wondrous applause that he got because he just nailed it in his presentation all on gut health. So yes, we miss you, Damo, but you're here in spirit because on one hundred not out we present to you Damien Christoph at the wellness base camp in Bendigo.
1: Thanks Marcus, thanks PC. Uh that very, that's very it's very he You're not meant to bring me close to tears just before I'm about to speak. So anyway, it's very uh, humbling, so thank you. It's it's my great pleasure to be here today and to share with you. Um, I've lost my voice a few times this year, and it's both at speaking events. And uh, so it's hanging in there. We'll see how we go. We should be able to get through everything today. Um, Marcus mentioned earlier on that uh, we do a podcast, uh, 100 Not Out, and that we go to Ikaria to... uh, to live with people in a village and experience with them uh, what they do to live a long time, and and I find it really fascinating. And at the the ripe young age of forty years old or 39 years old, I was packing my Dax about turning 40. I didn't want to turn 40. In fact, when I was um, studying to be a chiropractor, I maybe mean, I was 30, 33 or 34 years old, I was cutting open a human um, with a knife and she was dead. And so I was cutting through her and uh, and she was 61 years old. And so the closer I get to 61, the younger I know that actually is. And so she, she'd definitely enjoyed life, she was carrying a few extra kilograms, and as I was cutting through her and being reminded of how the body and how fragile the body is and how fragile life is, um, I thought 61 was a long way away. And so as I was approaching 40, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm nearly 40. And now I'd turn 45 in a couple of weeks' time, I'm going, oh, I'm 45. But my perception around that and my perspective around all of that changed when I went to Greece. And so I'd written a book. Actually, I've written 137 pages of this book um, based on a lot of the things that I'd learnt over the years doing the TV show, uh, being on radio, writing articles for magazines, and all those sorts of things, and helping countless thousands of people lose weight, manage heart disease, diabetes, all those sorts of things, disease management, which is what our health system is in Australia, which is, you know, it's kind of health scare or disease management, disease care. Um, or disease scare, It's basically you're frightened into doing something uh, for fear of getting something um, or for fear of not being able to control something else, if that makes sense, and if you don't do this then you'll get that, if you keep doing that then you'll get this, Um, if you don't have this intervention then get involved in our cascade of intervention, then we're gonna intervene on you somewhere, somewhere else, and it's gonna cost you a fortune. That's kind of the model that we've got in Australia, and so you know I was, I was kind of fearful of that, but when I went to you know, interview these people that were living a long time, they didn't have that same perspective. And so there was one interview that we did uh, with a guy living in, um, in Queensland, and he just got off his track day, and he was 104 years old, and he'd finished writing his seventh book, and we asked him what he, uh, you know, what is he? Because at this time in the in the podcast, I was still very much. Uh, of the view that it was food that would help you live a long time. If you did your food right, you would live a long time. And so I'd studied Peter D'Adamo's stuff, which is the blood type diet, I'd, and, and I really love Peter's work in and around um, ancestral eating. I think it's, it's really clever, really great. Um, and probably the closest to what we could all come to you know, following as, a, as an approach to eating that would be good for all of us, because it's broken into segments based on your blood type, which is ancestral. Um, I also looked at uh, Dr. Barry Sears' um, information. Um, Yeah, Peter did, um, and Barry Sears. Barry Sears did the zone diet, so mastering the zone. And he spoke about eating in blocks of protein, fat, and carbohydrate. And I thought, when I did this dissection thing and worked out you know, the size of somebody's stomach, that if you could get the right amount of protein, fat, and carbohydrate in your diet, that you'd manage insulin, and insulin being the dangerous hormone that it is, albeit very, very important, the inflammatory hormone that it is, that if you kept your insulin levels flat, then you'd be really good and you'd live forever. And that's kind of what I thought. And so then the uh, Okinawan study came out, the China study, um, and, the, and the Okinawan way. So the China study came out as vegetarian, vegan kind of thing. The Okinawan way is kind of talking about, you know, fish and rice and um, special plants that came out of the sea, uh, seaweed. That's what it's called. And so those. Uh, that, and, and so I was, re- I was reading all this information, and I was going, oh my gosh, this is all different, and everyone's you know still living a long time. And then the blue zones came out. And, uh, and, I was, and I was like, oh, my gosh, like there's five cultures within the world that have been recognized as living a long time, and they all do nothing similar with their food, except for the Italians and the Greeks, and they have a Mediterranean diet, and one of them would argue that they invented it first, <laughs> and the other one would argue the, the, the reverse. But the Okinawans, they eat rice, so it's a starchy carbohydrate, um, they have vegetables, uh, they eat a little bit of fish. Um, They've got like plentiful, like they have soy, they eat soy in their diet. Now, we've all heard of the demon, you know, plant soy. And, uh, and so we've all been very fearful of soy um, over the last, say, decade. Then we look at the Loma Lindens uh, and they're a, a community of Seventh-day Adventists and, uh, and they're vegetarian and they eat sanitarium uh, mueslis which um, most of us would agree that that's pretty shit food, and, uh, and, but they still live a long time and they're expected to live a long time. Yeah, I find that interesting. And then we look at the Ikarians and when we lived with them, we recognize that they ate bread with almost every meal. None of them were carrying around gluten babies. Um, they, were just, you know, they were just eating good food and, and sitting there with their mates and with their family, weren't they? Just sitting there with their mates and their families, and laughing and telling jokes, and then drinking wine at lunchtime and drinking wine at dinner time and drinking wine before and after the party, and uh, but they never got really smashed. They didn't get pissed. They just um, they just you know measured everything. But they had a really good, happy life. The Italians the Sardinians they do the same thing, similar sort of food. They have a bit more octopus. Um, they uh, they they do different things with their food. They don't have a whole lot of fish. Um, they both eat goats, um, and they they eat a legume of some kind. Like well, I think one is cannelloni beans in Italy, and it's fava beans in Greece. It's something like that. And then you look at the Costa Ricans, and their diet again is also very very different. And you kind of go, oh my gosh, there's no similarity with food at all. So you realise that it's not food that's going to keep your life forever. Isn't that interesting? So we then identified that it was uh, three things that will keep you living a long time. And you can write these down if you like. Um, there's engagement, so it's being engaged in your community. It's purpose, knowing what it is that you're actually wanting to do for the rest of your life. What are you bringing to the planet? Like are you just feeding and sucking off the planet or actually bringing something to the planet in your community. And movement was the third thing. So Marcus and I got up and we went for a run um, on the first morning of our first trip to Ikaria. We brought our Nike gear, brand new Nike gear, looked flash. We went for a little run around the end of Nars and uh, we took off, we bolted down the hill and we bolted up the hill a bit slower and we got to the top of the hill and we were really puffed and sweaty and I said, do you want to go back? He goes, I was hoping you'd say that. And so we, you know, we jogged our way back and, and there's these builders driving past us and they're kind of laughing at us. Now, I'm not the best-looking runner in the world and uh, definitely not like Kim Morrison, who's absolute. she just glides. But uh, I, uh, I got back and I was sweating like a pig and Marcus was sweating like a pig, probably worse than me. And, uh, and, and they looked at us and they said, why are you looking so hot? Why are you so sweaty? So this is Thea that said this, why are you looking so sweaty? We said, oh, we went for a run. She goes, what were you running from? <laughs> And we said, we weren't running from anything. And she said, where were you running to? We said, oh, just, you know, up there and back. She said, well, why would you do that? Why would you do that? And we said, oh, it's exercise. She goes, you get plenty of exercise by moving. Just by moving. And that's what we did. So we live with them for 10 days and we move. And we rest and we move and we eat and we party and we, you know, drink some wine and eat some bread and don't feel guilty about any of that sort of stuff. And we're not carrying around gluten babies. Who likes the sound of that? Wouldn't it be nice to be liberated to be able to eat the food you wanted to, knowing you're gonna live a long time? It's kind of cool. Kind of cool. So I had a lot of reflection, a lot of time to reflect on that sort of stuff. And so I've been doing a talk around Australia and New Zealand and Canada and the US for 14 years now called the Power of Food. And many of you in this room have seen the power of food. Um, I do another talk called Crack Your Stress Code, and they're both very, very different foods, but they kind of link back to being, you know, they link back to being involved with the nervous system. And so my passion, obviously, from a naturopathic perspective was the gut, is to help people with the gastrointestinal system, gastrointestinal function, we're talking dysbiosis back, you know, 20-something years ago, before the word gut was even trendy. Like naturopaths have, you know, come up with some really kooky-wacky stuff like leaky gut syndrome, or um, irritable bowel disease, or chronic fatigue syndrome, naturopaths invented these terms, Um, and then medicine finally caught up and agreed with us, even though they poo-pooed it for such a long time but we were there, we're at the forefront. We, we found out about gluten, we found out about dairy. You know, we, we were the guys, we were the, the not the guys, we were the, the people that worked that out. And then medicine catches up. So in Australia where we rely so much on medicine, we're 10 years behind what they know. If we, you know, there's, we're miles behind, so we don't want to be doing that. So anyway, I, I do those talks, and I link it back to the nervous system. And then there's all this chat about the gut at the moment. So people talk about inflammatory bowel disease, irritable bowel syndrome, leaky gut, heartburn, indigestion, polyps, um, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Who's heard of all of those different terms? Yeah. And people would have heard of things like chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. You would have heard of those sorts of things as well. And you kind of wonder how all of that is kind of linked. And then you hear about the gut-brain connection. It's kind of going to be the new frontier of science. You know, science is going to prove that there's a gut-brain connection. And uh, and I recall doing my very, very first week of embryology at uh, university and learning about the gut-brain connection, which is quite profound because uh, medicine sees the gut and the brain as being two separate things. And, uh, and I wanted to share with you, and I'm going to draw it, um, how it all actually works so that you can kind of get your head around it and to see how it all works. So, when Marcus mentioned that we all had food uh, for lunch earlier on, and he mentioned, I think he mentioned, He mentioned something, or maybe it was the cake. He mentioned the cake. I could feel my salivary glands cranking out some saliva. Who's ever had that experience before where someone's mentioned a food? Yeah. And so what I've learned is that the body doesn't send out enzymes or saliva uh, to break down only the food that you're thinking about. So if you think about a tomato right now, you don't send out tomato enzymes. You don't send out tomato saliva just to break down a tomato. And if you think about eating... Are there any vegans in the room? Any vegans? Okay. Right. See how embarrassed they are, they don't put the hand up. Put your hand up high over you vegan. All right, there's two of you. Okay, so three. So if you think about tofu, good on you. Yeah? If you're thinking about tofu and you're not sending out tofu enzymes to break down any tofu, you're not sending out tofu saliva, you're actually sending out a whole package. If the rest of us think about a nice big piece of eye fillet steak that's just grilling away and it's all nice and smells really good and you cut it open, it's still a little bit red on the inside and you put that who's feeling their mouth salivate right now, I can tell you what, we're not actually sending out enzymes to break down only beef or lamb, whatever it was that you were picturing, or kangaroo. Like we're not just picturing that, we're not just breaking down that stuff, we're breaking down protein, fat and carbohydrate. But that's the thought of putting that food into our body, we actually initiate a response that's a physiological response to the food that we're about to put into our body. And so we need protein and fat and carbohydrate with every single meal, it's very, very important. So some people are going, okay, if I decrease my carbohydrates then something will happen and that's true, if you decrease your carbs you'll lose fat, no problems. If you decrease your protein, you'll, lose, you'll, you'll have a bit of muscle loss, and then you'll lose some fat first, then you'll lose some muscle again. If you take fat out of your diet, you'll lose some fat, uh, then you'll build some more fat from the carbohydrates that you're eating, and then you'll lose a bit more fat, and then you'll increase your cholesterol, and um, then you'll get heart disease. And, uh, and so you don't want to take out fat from your diet, but you want to eat the fats that are appropriate for your body. Um, that's the healthy fats that Steph was talking about before but we need protein, fat, and carbohydrate in our body all the time. So this is what happens. So we've got our brain here. That's a brain. Um, that's the cerebellum. This here governs function, uh, governs uh, fine motor control, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But essentially, the moment that we uh, were conceived is the moment that all of this actually starts taking place, regardless of whether or not it was at the Marriott or in the back of the car or if it was at the, you know, your grandparents' house, wherever. Wherever we were conceived, a little sperm... Uh, found a little egg and they created a whole bunch of uh, little cells and all these little cells keep on dividing and multiplying and as it all goes, it all happens very very quickly, we eventually make this thing where we've got kind of like a head and a tail like this and this here becomes the spinal cord. So all of these cells wrap over each other, so they join this way, that way, this way, and that way, and then we're left with a head, and we're left with a tummy, a gut, a stomach. I don't know if I drew that big enough, but that's how big I could draw. This end here is the brain, so that's what we're looking at up here, and this here is the gut, and the nervous system here, which is the spinal cord, is formed within the first 21 days after conception. And when that doesn't form properly, that's called spina bifida. Might, or all of us here probably have properly formed. Maybe there might be a, small, a few little uh, dysfunctions in there where it didn't actually form. But essentially, off here, all of the nerves will come off all of that. Then we'll grow some arms. We'll grow some legs. We'll grow some other organs. Um, some people grow bigger organs than other people. Uh, LAUGHTER And all of the cells are signalled to do what they're meant to do based on their location in the body and their proximity to everything else. And that's based on the DNA. So your DNA basically is an instruction manual that tells each of the cells how to behave given a certain environment. But they don't determine your fate. They're an instruction manual that your body gets a chance to read from, which is kinda cool. So, the thought of food. Let's do a little piece of tofu just because I'm going to keep it nice and, um, and PC. We're going to have a little thought of a, a piece of tofu uh, like this. <laughs> thought of tofu. And uh, we're now going to send out messages down our, uh, our vagus nerve, down through here from the midbrain, and it comes out at around about the level of T6, T8 uh, to supply the pancreas with information that food's about to come into our system. So we start to send out pancreatic enzymes to digest protein, fat, and carbohydrate with the thought of tofu or any food. The other thing that we do is we uh, send out some saliva. So um, I'm just going to draw a a mouth. That's a mouth. Food goes into the mouth, and then it comes down through the esophagus. And as the food goes down through the the esophagus and is in the mouth and it's chewed up, it's coated with something called saliva. Do you guys know all of this? What I wanna, I'm gonna link it all in a second, it'll all come back, it'll all come back, and it'll make sense. As it's getting coated, the protein starts to break down, and this breakdown process means that we start to get everything. So I find it really fascinating when people say, if you eat this particular food, you might, you'll get rid of your, arthritis or if you uh, if you eat this particular food which is rich in this particular nutrient um, then that will cure this particular problem Uh, and the reality is is that our body is designed to break down everything into its absolute smallest component so a protein's broken down into what amino acids that's right a a, a lipid a fat is broken down into what a lipid (laughs) I guarantee you and a carbohydrate's broken down into what glycogen little sugars lots of little sugars thanks Carolyn and so whatever it starts off being, so if it starts off being collagen, it doesn't get absorbed into your bloodstream as collagen. It gets absorbed into your bloodstream as amino acids. Okay, if you, if you eat a potato, you don't absorb a potato into your bloodstream, or well, at least you shouldn't. It's not ideal, <laughs> it's not good to do that. But what we're finding is that people are becoming allergic more and more sensitive to foods that they're continually eating, but they're eating the same old protein after, you know, over and over and over again. There's not enough variety in their in their diet, so they actually starting to mount responses to the proteins and the carbohydrates that they're exposing their body to. So actually giving their immune system an opportunity to respond to it, and I'll explain how that actually happens in a moment. The food gets to this point here, there's a little sphincter here, that, that should stay closed until this little wave pushes through and then pushes the food into the stomach. The stomach has this thing here, it's called the fundus, and the fundus fills up with gas. And the fundus, which is this nice little dome thing, fills up with gas um, only when you don't digest your food properly. So who's ever burped? Anyone ever burped before? Okay, good. So if you have burped, a burp is essentially the fundus letting go of some air. Has anyone ever burped and then had heartburn or indigestion as a result of that burp? Yeah, that's the splashing of acid back up the esophagus and that there leads to complications. That's because you didn't have enough hydrochloric acid in your stomach in the first place. So that's a low acid environment. What do we take when we get heartburn? Antacids. Antacids, what do they do? lower the acid in your stomach, it makes the problem worse. So now what happens is that the food makes its way through here through this sphincter called this pyloric sphincter and it moves into the pylorus which is where the small intestine actually is and that this food is undigested and we start to bloat and fart. Anyone ever farted in here before? (laughs) You farted in here, don't you? That's disgusting. (laughs) So when, when your food is undigested, you've got a bolus of food that was in here and now it's in here and it's not digesting properly, you're now relying on other things to get through it. So there's this great thing here called the pancreas. Who's heard of the pancreas before? Yep, the pancreas has two heads on it. It's got a, a head up here or a body here which actually secretes um, insulin. And insulin is the hormone that helps us to manage sugar. And, uh, and as we know, sugar is a very, very uh, challenging Um, nutrient to have in our body in large amounts. And so insulin is required to get rid of that and force that into the cells. But too much insulin in the body also causes inflammation. And so that's a huge big challenge. You don't want to have too much of that. But the other function is an exocrine function with the pancreas. And that secretes uh, enzymes to break down protein, fat, and carbohydrate. All three of them. All three of them. And that's triggered by the brain. And it runs down the spinal cord. And it comes out at T7. T8, that area, which is kind of about that area there in your back. Does anyone ever get achy in that sort of area? Yeah. If you're getting pain in that area, it's likely that you're also getting dysfunctional nerve signals, both to and from organs as a result of that. We often just think about the pain as the dysfunction, but there's a functional component to the nervous system. 80% of your nervous system is associated with the autonomic nervous system, which is something that we don't feel. It's the heart beating. It's us breathing. It's the kidneys working. 80% of your nervous system is governing function, and we're aware of about 20% of our nerve activity. We're aware of 20%, and that's it. And pain is only about 10% of that 20%. So only 2% of our nervous system tells us that we're in pain. But most people go to see a chiropractor when they're in pain, not when they're in dysfunction. So... Pancreas got to work. Just near the pancreas is another organ called the liver. Who's heard of the liver? Yeah, the liver's got a little packet on the end of it called a gallbladder. And the gallbladder holds onto all the bile and it dehydrates the bile so that you get this concentrated, really potent, toxic mix of stuff that's designed to break down fat. So we've got a really efficient system within the body to break down fat. So we've got saliva which can trigger that. We've got pancreatic enzymes, which breaks down fat, and now we've got bile that breaks down fat as well. So you can see that fat's a really important nutrient for the body, and the more access of good quality fats that we get, uh, the better our body actually can regulate our energy systems. It's very important. Some people get their gallbladder taken out. Anyone ever had their gallbladder taken out? Okay. So what that now means is that you don't break down fat as efficiently as everybody else. Some people get their tonsils taken out. Who's had their tonsils taken out? Me. I've had them taken out. They were just extra organs that we didn't need. But your tonsils are actually your lymphatic system for your throat. The lymphatic system is your immune system. Who's ever had their adenoids taken out? They're your immune system for your nose. So all of a sudden, you've lost your immune system for your nose where you would normally catch particles, and you've lost the immune system for your throat where you normally trap particles and then mount an immune response for it, and you're left now with a whole lot of debris to run through the intestines at 80% of your immune systems in your gastrointestinal system. 80%. Is that unbelievable? You're not mounting immune responses at this level now, you're mounting immune responses down here. And we've got children having their tonsils removed, adenoids removed, taking antibiotics, which knocks off the bacteria in here as well. and uh, and then we've got a whole lot of dysfunction and dysregulation, lots of white foods, not a lot of variety in our diet, and we're starting to mount responses to food because our immune system in our gut is being exposed to stuff partially undigested and at, at, at stages where we should have actually already mounted appropriate immune responses to it. We should have mounted an immune response here, but we're now mounting the immune response down here. This is in the small intestine. So now I've come up with another diagnosis called SIBO. Who's heard of SIBO? Okay, small intestine bacterial overgrowth. It's where bugs have made their way from the colon. I'll just draw the colon. So the small intestine um, exits here. This is little thing that hangs off there and there's a little bulb that hangs off there. That looks a bit rude. Uh, especially all that little line going on there, far out. I um, will better quickly draw this one here. Let's draw here. This is the rectum and the large bowel. And so what actually happens here, this here's another immune gland right there, and a lot of people get this chopped out too. Who's missing their appendix? So your appendix is another piece of lymphatic tissue that the body requires to mount an immune response um, as the last port of call. So if you're missing tonsils, adenoids, uh, and you've taken antibiotics, and you've got this bacterial thing going on in here, and you're missing now your appendix, you've basically knocked out massive chunks of your lymphatic system, um, which helps you maintain and manage immune responses in the gut. Isn't this interesting? Did you know all this before? Couple did, couple didn't. Interesting. So, food then gets pushed up against gravity in the ascending colon. It goes this way in the transverse colon. Many people um, have a prolapsed transverse colon. It's where this all hangs down. It's lost all of its tone. It loses its tone for a number of different reasons. Uh, The uterus can be removed in women, um, and that can be, of course, a problem. Uh, Things get moved out of the way when you're growing babies, and uh, they don't bounce back to where they used to be, and so things can actually drop down. The other thing that actually causes a prolapsing of the transverse colon is a sluggish or tardy bowel. And many people in this room aren't moving their bowels enough. In fact, you might be moving your bowels once a day. Let's say you're pushing out a log once a day. And um, we're going to poo out once a day. But the poo that's coming out may not be the meal that you had yesterday. It could be the meal that you had three or four days ago. And this is my concern. Because when we load up our colon full of feces and we're exposing our immune system, which is already depleted and overchallenged and we're loading it up with just a whole lot of waste matter that's in our descending or transverse or ascending colon, we're actually now mounting more uh, immune responses to the toxin coming back into our body. It's not what the gut wants to do. The gut wants to keep us free from toxin. But there's this situation known as leaky gut. Who's heard of leaky gut? So leaky gut is where you've got all these little... You probably already know this. You've got all these little cells... Um, and there's these little tight jun- tight junctions. And the tight junctions actually get broken down. They can get broken down from food. They can get broken down from stress. They can get broken down from drugs. Um, they can just get broken down. But essentially, when they get broken down, the layer this becomes permeable. And proteins actually enter through the uh, the, the, the wall. And then they're presented to the bloodstream in a challenged uh, immune environment. That challenged immune environment gives us this hyper reflexive gastrointestinal system that hangs onto our faeces and helps us, um, you know, I suppose, manage or maintain a, an overreactive immune response. So We might have nut allergies, egg allergies, dairy allergies, wheat allergies, sensitivities. Uh, we might even now we're finding kiwi fruit allergies, pineapple allergies. Um, what else are we seeing at the moment? Um. There's a whole bunch of different allergies and sensitivities that we're finding. Now, with the new invention of, uh, of a system called FODMAPs, have you heard of FODMAP? So, the fermentable, uh, the fermentable oligo, uh, di, mono, and polyol sugars, and all of those things are associated with a dysfunctional microbiome in the gut. In other words, we don't have enough of the good guys in the gut. So, we've got a combination of SIBO and FODMAP. Some people have also got. Celiac sensitivity or non-celiac gluten uh, sensitivity, uh, which for many people can drive a mental. They eat a piece of gluten and they look like they're six months pregnant. And, uh, and that's a huge, big challenge. But it's because this system here is dysfunctional. So, when we were born, sometimes there's intervention. Sometimes there's intervention. Not all the time is it intervention, but sometimes there's intervention. And right up at this level here at C1 is a very sensitive area, there's a huge amount of nerve function that happens in the skull and as nerves ascend up to the skull and inside the skull from those areas, um, we have an, an incredible ability to, to manage the, the health and the well-being of the body by keeping this intact. However, the amount of force that can be used uh, on a baby's head or on a baby's neck at the delivery room is significant. It can be up to 40 to 60 pounds of pressure. At 70 to 90 pounds of pressure, the baby's head will be decapitated. And just recently, about five weeks ago, um, a baby was decapitated by an obstetrician, Um, all well-meaning, but had to use forceps to try and rescue the mother and rescue the baby, and the baby died. So this is a real thing, and it really does happen. And we think of it as relatively insignificant trauma because our kids, you know, they might cry, they'll go under the boob, they'll breastfeed, uh, which is excellent. Um, They may not be able to go under the the breast and they get fed bottle, uh, which is fine, but there's a a bacterial uh, impact of that, um, you know, that that of course ensues. But we often don't get that part of the neck checked enough until we're actually in pain or things become dysfunctional. And when I say dysfunctional, I say you're getting headaches, or you're exhausted, or you're getting back pain, or you're getting um, neck pain, and that's often when you go to see your chiropractor. But here's something that's really important. I'm just going to get a new page. Is that okay? (laughs) (laughs) It's looking a little bit messy. It's looking a little bit messy. All right. So we've got these bones up here, and this is where the skull sits. All of these nerves through here... And here, they all come together to form. Well, they all they all feed back and up to the spine, and then down through here they they come out um, to supply different organs. But the vagus nerve takes a number of different nerves uh, from the neck, but also inside the brain. And the vagus nerve is often interfered with with these early stage vertebra, so the first vertebra, the second vertebra, and the third vertebra are interfered with, or they interfere with the function of the vagus nerve. We also know that the vagus nerve has a significant impact um, a bit further down, so at T1 and T2, and a lot of your sympathetic activity, a lot of people feel like they're in fight or flight all the time. They feel like their nervous system's always charged up and always on. They can't sleep. Um, they're always tired, but they can't sleep. They're in pain. That's when their nervous system's over-challenged and overstimulated, stimulated. And essentially, what we find with chiropractic is that these areas here get corrected, and many people notice that the digestion improves. It's not because chiropractic deals with digestion; it's because when the nerves work better, because the vertebrae are in alignment, then the body works better. Does that make sense? And and that's what I wanted to share with you in terms of a gut-brain connection. So the brain controls everything within the body. I said earlier on that my mate Adam Smith went over to Mona and he went to the Mona um, Museum and what he noticed was that they had these big vessels where they were you know, fermenting stuff and, and creating poo. There's a poo machine there. I've got to go see it. <laughs> There's the poo machine there and I would create the poo machine but they can't recreate a nervous system. They can't recreate it. You can take pieces out of your gastrointestinal system like we've heard that you can take your appendix out gallbladder can come out, you can replace your liver you can chop out you know, sections of your intestine you can do all those sorts of things and still continue to live, but you can't chop off your nervous system, so you've got to maintain the health of that, who here regularly sees their chiropractor that's wonderful, that's really great there's a whole bunch of people in this room that might only see their chiropractor because they're in pain or some of you might have actually heard that chiropractors kill people <laughs> who's heard that before yeah, and there's a of people in this room that are actually quite fearful of chiropractors because of myths that have been perpetuated uh, by the medical profession. Um, in the 1970s, uh, the AMA, the American Medical Association, was taken to court uh, by a chiropractor and successfully sued as an antitrust lawsuit um, in that they were trying to bring chiropractic into disrepute. And we're having the same situation happen in Australia at the moment. So the AMA has launched an attack against chiropractic It's been going for 30 years, and they tell everybody that chiropractors are dangerous, don't see a chiropractor, uh, they don't know what they're doing, they're witchcraft, all that sort of stuff, and they're kooky-wacky crazy, and they keep keep you guys away from us, and we can help, and it's a concern. So I wanted to share share that with you, I wanted to share that with you because I was uh, playing golf the other day, and there's four orthopedic surgeons who were playing golf in front of me. And uh, these orthopedic surgeons, you know, they're doing all of their thing. But I'm listening to a podcast at the moment called Dr. Death. Who's heard of that podcast? Yeah. And I'm listening to how an orthopedic surgeon managed to slaughter 29 people um, and kill them before he was taken out of the hospital system. Now, admittedly, it was in America. um, But stuff like that happens in Australia as well. So people you know, do get lost and unfortunately surgery, which is a very, very dangerous thing and you want to avoid surgery, uh, it's a very dangerous thing. It does happen where people might actually lose their life in surgery. So my recommendation is to try and stay away from surgery. But we don't hear about those traumas and I'm glad we don't, but people don't die from chiropractic care. They feel better from it and that's what I wanted to share. So one of the things that concerns me at the moment, and I find it really fascinating, is our, uh, our desire to kind of hack the system, hack the body. And so we think if we drink some kombucha, that will fix everything. Um, the amount of kombucha that we might need will be one that we make ourselves, um, and maybe 25 to 35 mils of it per day. Maybe. Not 375 mils of a manufactured kombucha that's got shelf stability for six to seven months. Because if that's the case, the bacteria is not in there. There was a study done recently uh, where five of the leading brands of kombucha were taken and sampled to see how much probiotic was actually in them. And it was found that there was more bacteria in Sydney water than there was in these five leading kombuchas. (laughs) And that's got chlorine in it. So don't just buy it because it's a trendy name. Sauerkraut, unbelievable stuff. But you don't need to eat sauerkraut with every single meal. Because if you do, you're going to start to bloat and fart more and it's not good for anybody. So have a little bit of sauerkraut, have a little bit of kombucha, have a little bit of kefir, but be really careful of the strains that you're putting into your body as well. It doesn't have to be the same one all the time. In fact, if you only do the same one all the time, that's the bacteria that you're going to be growing inside your gastrointestinal system. If you're only putting in the same stuff all the time, that's all you're going to get out. Does that make sense? It's very important. The other thing that frightens me significantly is the amount of people that are trying to do a parasite cleanse. Because they got bloated, they might have had diarrhea, they might have farted one day in the shower and it was really smelly. Um, But something happened and they thought, "Oh, I better go do a parasite cleanse because that's going to fix me up. And that really concerns me because they're taking herbs and antibiotics or whatever it is that creates dysbiosis in the gut and creates other problems downstream and upstream consequences Of cleaning out parasites. Just because you've got a parasite doesn't mean you've got to go to war on it. We're using a very US government style approach to our gastrointestinal system. We find something that we don't like and we go and blow the shit out of it. (laughs) We don't want to be doing that to our guts. We want to love it. We want to use a UN approach we want to go in there with lots of really good soldiers showing their good bacteria, lots of you know, broad spectrum foods, like a wide variety of vegetables, plant fibres. Steph said it beautifully before. You want heaps of vegetables, six cups a day of vegetables. The Japanese government suggesting at the moment that we should be having 80 serves of fruits and vegetables every single week, 80 serves. If you do the maths on that, it's about you know, 13, 14, 15 a day. That's not too bad. It's three or four for breakfast. Four or five for lunch and four or five for dinner. Pretty easy to do. Pretty easy to do. Now, it's not serves like you're not having a whole pumpkin. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not that sort of thing. But you're just having a little bit of a vegetable. Like you might have some broccoli, some, you know, some cabbage, some carrots, some peas. Probably not corn because it's not a vegetable. And unless you're Mexican, you can't digest it. Um, but uh, it's, it's important to have all of those vegetables and that variety. Increasing your bandwidth of uh, fiber types in your gastrointestinal system is probably the most single powerful thing that you could do to improve the health of your gut. Save taking thousands of dollars worth of probiotics. Save taking hundreds and hundreds of dollars a week of foods that have been fermented. You'll be much better off by having a diet that's so rich in plant-based, uh, plant-based fibers that uh, you'll be you'll remember this talk today and you'll think you'll thank me. And I'm coming to these conclusions. Thanks, Carolyn. I'm coming to these conclusions because I've been doing it for twenty odd years. And I've seen all the stories and I've seen all of the myths and all of the rumors and all of the hearsay and all of the things that we catch on to, we latch onto as naturopaths and nutritionists. And what I'm trying to teach you is just to filter out some of the BS. Does that make sense? I really want you to have an open mind about this and make food first. Food first. So it's amazing food that we, that we all had access to, like those pizza bases today and the breads. Like That's amazing. But then put with that real food, fruits and vegetables that go with that so we're having a really healthy diet. Start your day with a really raw, unprocessed muesli. Like what a great thing to do. Rice isn't killing people fast, I can guarantee it. Like India, China, all of East Asia is eating rice every single day and they're the fastest growing populations in the world. They don't get colon cancer like we do. They're doing something a little bit different. Has that opened your mind a little bit? I'm pleading with you and begging with you to put food first. Put food first, do your supplements later, and you'll have an unbelievably healthy life. Make sure you get your spine checked to make sure your nervous system's working really well, and, uh, and I hope to see you at another wellness event. Thank you so much for listening.